Chapter twenty four of Doctor Thorne by Anthony Trollope. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Nick Whitley, Purley, United Kingdom. Chapter twenty four. Louis Scatcherd. When Doctor Thorne reached Boxall Hill, he found Mister Rearchild from Barchester there before him. Poor Lady Scatcherd, when her husband was stricken by the fit hardly knew in her dismay what adequate steps to take she had as a matter of course sent for dr thorne but she had thought that in so grave a peril the medical skill of no one man could suffice it was she knew quite out of the question for her to invoke the aid of dr filgrave whom no earthly persuasion would have brought to boxall hill and as Mr. Rearchild was supposed in the Barchester world to be second, though at a long interval, to that great man, she had applied for his assistance. Now Mr. Rearchild was a follower and humble friend of Dr. Filgrave, and was wont to regard anything that came from the Barchester doctor as sure light from the lamp of Esculapius he could not therefore be other than an enemy of dr thorne but he was a prudent discreet man with a long family averse to professional hostilities as knowing that he could make more by medical friends than medical foes and not at all inclined to take up any man's cudgel to his own detriment he had of course heard of that dreadful affront which had been put upon his friend as had all the medical world all the medical world at least of barsetshire and he had often expressed his sympathy with dr filgrave and his abhorrence of dr thorne's anti-professional practices but now that he found himself about to be brought in contact with dr thorne he reflected that the galen of greshamsbury was at any rate equal in reputation to him of barchester that the one was probably on the rise whereas the other was already considered by some as rather antiquated and he therefore wisely resolved that the present would be an excellent opportunity for him to make a friend of dr thorne poor lady scatcherd had an inkling that dr filgrave and mr rearchild were accustomed to row in the same boat and she was not altogether free from fear that there might be an outbreak she therefore took an opportunity before dr thorne's arrival to deprecate any wrathful tendency oh lady scatcherd i have the greatest respect for dr thorne said he the greatest possible respect a most skilful practitioner something brusque certainly and perhaps a little obstinate but what then we all have our faults lady scatcherd oh yes we all have mr rearchild that's certain there's my friend filgrave lady scatcherd he cannot bear anything of that sort now i think he's wrong and so i tell him mr rearchild was in error here for he had never yet ventured to tell dr filgrave that he was wrong in anything 
we must bear and forbear you know dr thorne is an excellent man in his way very excellent lady scatcherd this little conversation took place after mr rearchild's first visit to his patient what steps were immediately taken for the relief of the sufferer we need not describe they were doubtless well intended and were perhaps as well adapted to stave off the coming evil day as any that dr filgrave or even the great sir omicron pye might have used and then dr thorne arrived oh doctor doctor exclaimed lady scatcherd almost hanging round his neck in the hall what are we to do what are we to do he's very bad has he spoken no nothing like a word he has made one or two muttered sounds but poor soul you could make nothing of it oh doctor doctor he has never been like this before it was easy to see where lady scatcherd placed any such faith as she might still have in the healing art mr rearchild is here and has seen him she continued i thought it best to send for two for fear of accidents he has done something i don't know what but doctor do tell the truth now i look to you to tell me the truth dr thorne then went up and saw his patient and had he literally complied with lady scatcherd's request he might have told her at once that there was no hope as however he had not the heart to do this he mystified the case as doctors so well know how to do and told her that there was cause to fear great cause for fear he was sorry to say very great cause for much fear dr thorne promised to stay the night there and if possible the following night also and then lady scatcherd became troubled in her mind as to what she should do with mr rearchild he also declared with much medical humanity that let the inconvenience be what it might he too would stay the night the loss he said of such a man as sir roger scatcherd was of such paramount importance as to make other matters trivial he would certainly not allow the whole weight to fall on the shoulders of his friend dr thorne he also would stay at any rate that night by the sick man's bedside by the following morning some change might be expected i say dr thorne said her ladyship calling the doctor into the housekeeping room in which she and hannah spent any time that they were not required upstairs just come in doctor you couldn't tell him we don't want him any more could you tell whom said the doctor why mr rearchild mightn't he go away do you think dr thorne explained that mr rearchild certainly might go away if he pleased but that it would by no means be proper for one doctor to tell another to leave the house and so mr rearchild was allowed to share the glories of the night in the meantime the patient remained speechless but it soon became evident 
that nature was using all her efforts to make one final rally from time to time he moaned and muttered as though he was conscious and it seemed as though he strove to speak he gradually became awake at any rate to suffering and dr thorne began to think that the last scene would be postponed for yet a while longer wonderful strong constitution eh dr thorne wonderful said mr rearchild yes he has been a strong man strong as a horse dr thorne lord what that man would have been if he had given himself a chance you know his constitution of course yes pretty well i've attended him for many years always drinking i suppose always at it eh he has not been a temperate man certainly the brain you see clean gone and not a particle of coating left to the stomach and yet what a struggle he makes an interesting case isn't it it's very sad to see such an intellect so destroyed very sad very sad indeed how philgrave would have liked to have seen this case he is a clever man is philgrave in his way you know i'm sure he is said dr thorne not that he'd make anything of a case like this now he's not you know quite uh, quite perhaps not quite up to the new time of day if one may say so he has had a very extensive provincial practice said dr thorne oh very very and made a tidy lot of money too has philgrave he's worth six thousand pounds i suppose now that's a good deal of money to put by in a little town like barchester yes indeed what i say to philgrave is this keep your eyes open one should never be too old to learn there's always something new worth picking up but no he won't believe that he can't believe that any new ideas can be worth anything you know a man must go to the wall in that way eh doctor and then again they were called to their patient he's doing finely finely said mr rearchild to lady scatcherd there's fair ground to hope he'll rally fair ground is there not doctor yes he'll rally but how long that may last that we can hardly say oh no certainly not certainly not that that is not with any certainty but still he's doing finely lady scatcherd considering everything how long will you give him doctor said mr rearchild to his new friend when they were again alone ten days i dare say ten days or from that to a fortnight not more but i think you'll struggle on ten days perhaps so said the doctor i should not like to say exactly to a day no certainly not we cannot say exactly to a day but i say ten days as for anything like a recovery that you know is out of the question said dr thorne gravely quite so quite so 
coating of the stomach clean gone you know brain destroyed did you observe the periperolida i never saw them so swelled before now when the periperolida are swollen like that yes very much it's always the case when paralysis has been brought about by intemperance always always i have remarked that always the periperolida in such cases are always extended most interesting case isn't it i do wish philgrave could have seen it but i believe you and philgrave don't quite eh? no not quite said dr thorne who as he thought of his last interview with dr philgrave and of that gentleman's exceeding anger as he stood in the hall below could not keep himself from smiling sad as the occasion was nothing would induce lady scatcherd to go to bed but the two doctors agreed to lie down each in a room on one side of the patient how was it possible that anything but good should come to him being so guarded he is going on finely lady scatcherd quite finely were the last words mr rearchild said as he left the room and then dr thorne taking lady scatcherd's hand and leading her out into another chamber told her the truth lady scatcherd said he in his tenderest voice and his voice could be very tender when occasion required it lady scatcherd do not hope you must not hope it would be cruel to bid you do so oh doctor oh doctor my dear friend there is no hope oh dr thorne said the wife looking wildly up into her companion's face though she hardly yet realized the meaning of what he said although her senses were half stunned by the blow dear lady scatcherd is it not better that i should tell you the truth oh i suppose so oh yes oh yes ah me ah me ah me and then she began rocking herself backwards and forwards on her chair with her apron up to her eyes what shall i do what shall i do look to him lady scatcherd who only can make such grief endurable yes 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 i suppose so ah me ah me but dr thorne there must be some chance isn't there any chance that man says he's going on so well i fear there is no chance as far as my knowledge goes there is no chance then why does that chattering magpie tell such lies to a woman ah oh, me ah oh, me ah oh, me oh doctor doctor what shall i do what shall i do and poor lady scatcherd fairly overcome by her sorrow burst out crying like a great schoolgirl and yet what had her husband done for her that she should thus weep for him 
would not her life be much more blessed when this cause of all her troubles should be removed from her would she not then be a free woman instead of a slave might she not then expect to begin to taste the comforts of life what had that harsh tyrant of hers done that was good or serviceable for her why should she thus weep for him in paroxysms of truest grief we hear a good deal of jolly widows and the slanderous raillery of the world tells much of conjugal disturbances as a cure for which women will look forward to a state of widowhood with not unwilling eyes the raillery of the world is very slanderous in our daily jests we attribute to each other vices of which neither we nor our neighbours nor our friends nor even our enemies are ever guilty it is our favourite parlance to talk of the family troubles of mrs green on our right and to tell how mrs young on our left is strongly suspected of having raised her hand to her lord and master what right have we to make these charges what have we seen in our own personal walks through life to make us believe that women are devils there may possibly have been a xantippe here and there but imogenes are to be found under every bush lady scatcherd in spite of the life she had led was one of them you should send a message up to london for louis said the doctor we did that doctor we did that to-day we sent up a telegraph oh me oh me poor boy what will he do i shall never know what to do with him never never and with such sorrowful wailings she sat rocking herself through the long night every now and then comforting herself by the performance of some menial service in the sick man's room sir roger passed the night much as he had passed the day except that he appeared gradually to be growing nearer to a state of consciousness on the following morning they succeeded at last in making mr rearer child understand that they were not desirous of keeping him longer from his barchester practice and at about twelve o'clock dr thorne also went promising that he would return in the evening and again pass the night at boxall hill in the course of the afternoon sir roger once more awoke to his senses and when he did so his son was standing at his bedside louis philippe scatcherd or as it may be more convenient to call him louis was a young man just of the age of frank gresham but there could hardly be two youths more different in their appearance louis though his father and mother were both robust persons was short and slight and now of a sickly frame frank was a picture of health and strength but though manly in disposition was by no means precocious either in appearance or manners louis scatcherd looked as though he was four years the other's senior he had been sent to eton when he was fifteen his father being under the impression that this was the most ready and best recognised method of making him a gentleman here he did not altogether fail as regarded the coveted object of his becoming the companion of gentlemen he had more pocket-money than any other lad in the school 
and was possessed also of a certain effrontery which carried him ahead among boys of his own age he gained therefore a degree of eclat even among those who knew and very frequently said to each other that young scatcherd was not fit to be their companion except on such open occasions as those of cricket matches and boat races boys in this respect are at least as exclusive as men and understand as well the difference between an inner and an outer circle scatcherd had many companions at school who were glad enough to go up to maidenhead with him in his boat but there was not one among them who would have talked to him of his sister sir roger was vastly proud of his son's success and did his best to stimulate it by lavish expenditure at the christopher whenever he could manage to run down to eton but this practice though sufficiently unexceptionable to the boys was not held in equal delight by the masters to tell the truth neither sir roger nor his son were favourites with these stern custodians at last it was felt necessary to get rid of them both and louis was not long in giving them an opportunity by getting tipsy twice in one week on the second occasion he was sent away and he and sir roger though long talked of were seen no more at eton but the universities were still open to louis philippe and before he was eighteen he was entered as a gentleman commoner at trinity as he was moreover the eldest son of a baronet and had almost unlimited command of money here also he was enabled for a while to shine to shine but very fitfully and one may say almost with a ghastly glare the very lads who had eaten his father's dinners at eton and shared his four-oar at eton knew much better than to associate with him at cambridge now that they had put on the toga virilis they were still as prone as ever to fun frolic and devilry perhaps more so than ever seeing that more was in their power but they acquired an idea that it behoved them to be somewhat circumspect as to the men with whom their pranks were perpetrated so in those days louis scatcherd was coldly looked on by his whilom eton friends but young scatcherd did not fail to find companions at cambridge also there are few places indeed in which a rich man cannot buy companionship but the set with whom he lived at cambridge were the worst of the place they were fast slang men who were fast and slang and nothing else men who imitated grooms in more than their dress and who looked on the customary heroes of race-courses as the highest lords of the ascendant upon earth among those at college young scatcherd did shine as long as such lustre was permitted him here indeed his father who had striven only to encourage him at eton did strive somewhat to control him but that was not now easy if he limited his son's allowance he only drove him to do his debauchery on credit there were plenty to lend money to the son of the great millionaire and so after eighteen months trial of a university education sir roger had no alternative but to withdraw his son from his alma mater 
what was he then to do with him unluckily it was considered quite unnecessary to take any steps towards enabling him to earn his bread now nothing on earth can be more difficult than bringing up well a young man who has not to earn his own bread and who has no recognised station among other men similarly circumstanced juvenile dukes and sprouting earls find their duties and their places as easily as embryo clergymen and sucking barristers provision is made for their peculiar positions and though they may possibly go astray they have a fair chance given to them of running within the posts the same may be said of such youths as frank gresham there are enough of them in the community to have made it necessary that their well-being should be a matter of care and forethought but there are but few men turned out in the world in the position of louis scatcherd and of those few but very few enter the real battle of life under good auspices poor sir roger though he had hardly time with all his multitudinous railways to look into this thoroughly had a glimmering of it when he saw his son's pale face and paid his wine bills and heard of his doings in horseflesh he did know that things were not going well he did understand that the heir to a baronetcy and a fortune of some ten thousand a year might be doing better but what was he to do he could not watch over his boy himself so he took a tutor for him and sent him abroad louis and the tutor got as far as berlin with what mutual satisfaction to each other need not be specially described but from berlin sir roger received a letter in which the tutor declined to go any further in the task which he had undertaken he found that he had no influence over his pupil and he could not reconcile it to his conscience to be the spectator of such a life as that which mr scatcherd led he had no power in inducing mr scatcherd to leave berlin but he would remain there himself till he should hear from sir roger so sir roger had to leave the huge government works which he was then erecting on the southern coast and hurry off to berlin to see what could be done with young hopeful the young hopeful was by no means a fool and in some matters was more than a match for his father sir roger in his anger threatened to cast him off without a shilling louis with mixed penitence and effrontery reminded him that he could not change the descent of the title promised amendment declared that he had done only as do other young men of fortune and hinted that the tudor was a straight-laced ass the father and the son returned together to boxall hill and three months afterwards mr scatcherd set up for himself in lunnon and now his life if not more virtuous was more crafty than it had been he had no tutor to watch his doings and complain of them and he had sufficient sense to keep himself from absolute pecuniary ruin he lived it is true where sharpers and blacklegs 
had too often opportunities of plucking him but young as he was he had been sufficiently long about the world to take care he was not openly robbed and as he was not openly robbed his father in a certain sense was proud of him tidings however came came at least in those last days which cut sir roger to the quick tidings of vice in the son which the father could not but attribute to his own example twice the mother was called up to the sick-bed of her only child while he lay raving in that horrid madness by which the outraged mind avenges itself on the body twice he was found raging in delirium tremens and twice the father was told that a continuance of such life must end in an early death it may easily be conceived that sir roger was not a happy man lying there with that brandy-bottle beneath his pillow reflecting in his moments of rest that that son of his had his brandy-bottle beneath his pillow he could hardly have been happy but he was not a man to say much about his misery though he could restrain neither himself nor his heir he could endure in silence and in silence he did endure till opening his eyes to the consciousness of death he at last spoke a few words to the only friend he knew louis scatcherd was not a fool nor was he naturally perhaps of a depraved disposition but he had to reap the fruits of the worst education which england was able to give him there were moments in his life when he felt that a better a higher nay a much happier career was open to him than that which he had prepared himself to lead now and then he would reflect what money and rank might have done for him he would look with wishful eyes to the proud doings of others of his age would dream of quiet joys of a sweet wife of a house to which might be asked friends who were neither jockeys nor drunkards he would dream of such things in his short intervals of constrained sobriety but the dream would only serve to make him moody this was the best side of his character the worst probably was that which was brought into play by the fact that he was not a fool he would have a better chance of redemption in this world perhaps also in another had he been a fool as it was he was no fool he was not to be done not he he knew no one better the value of a shilling he knew also how to keep his shillings and how to spend them he consorted much with blacklegs and such like because blacklegs were to his taste but he boasted daily nay hourly to himself and frequently to those around him that the leeches who were stuck round him could draw but little blood from him he could spend his money freely but he would so spend it that he himself might reap the gratification of the expenditure he was acute crafty knowing and up to every damnable dodge practised by men of the class with whom he lived at one-and-twenty he was that most odious of all odious characters a close-fisted reprobate he was a small man 
not ill-made by nature but reduced to unnatural tenuity by dissipation a corporeal attribute of which he was apt to boast as it enabled him as he said to put himself up at seven stone seven pounds without any dashed nonsense of not eating and drinking the power however was one of which he did not often avail himself as his nerves were seldom in a fit state for riding his hair was dark red and he wore red moustaches and a great deal of red beard beneath his chin cut in a manner to make him look like an american his voice also had a yankee twang being a cross between that of an american trader and an english groom and his eyes were keen and fixed and cold and knowing such was the son whom sir roger saw standing at his bedside when first he awoke to consciousness it must not be supposed that sir roger looked at him with our eyes to him he was an only child the heir of his wealth the future bearer of his title the most heart-stirring remembrancer of those other days when he had been so much a poorer and so much a happier man let that boy be bad or good he was all sir roger had and the father was still able to hope when others thought that all ground for hope was gone the mother also loved her son with a mother's natural love but louis had ever been ashamed of his mother and had as far as possible estranged himself from her her heart perhaps fixed itself with almost a warmer love on frank gresham her foster-son frank she saw but seldom but when she did see him he never refused her embrace there was too a joyous genial lustre about frank's face which always endeared him to women and made his former nurse regard him as the pet creation of the age though she but seldom interfered with any monetary arrangement of her husband's yet once or twice she had ventured to hint that a legacy left to the young squire would make her a happy woman the roger however on these occasions had not appeared very desirous of making his wife happy ah louis that you ejaculated sir roger in tones hardly more than half formed afterwards in a day or two that is he fully recovered his voice but just then he could hardly open his jaws and spoke almost through his teeth he managed however to put out his hand and lay it on the counterpane so that his son could take it why that's well governor said the son you'll be right as a trivet in a day or two eh governor the governor smiled with a ghastly smile he already pretty well knew that he would never again be right as his son called it on that side of the grave it did not moreover suit him to say much just at that moment so he contented himself with holding his son's hand he lay still in this position for a moment and then turning round painfully on his side endeavoured to put his hand to the place where his dire enemy usually was concealed sir roger however was too weak now to be his own master he was at length though too late a captive in the hands of nurses and doctors and the bottle had now been removed then lady scatcherd came in 
and seeing that her husband was no longer unconscious she could not but believe that dr thorne had been wrong she could not but think that there must be some ground for hope she threw herself on her knees at the bedside bursting into tears as she did so and taking sir roger's hand in hers covered it with kisses Bother, said sir roger she did not however long occupy herself with the indulgence of her feelings but going speedily to work produced such sustenance as the doctors had ordered to be given when the patient might awake a breakfast cup was brought to him and a few drops were put into his mouth but he soon made it manifest that he would take nothing more of a description so perfectly innocent a drop of brandy just a little drop said he half ordering and half entreating ah roger said lady scatcherd just a little drop louis said the sick man appealing to his son a little will be good for him bring the bottle mother said the son after some altercation the brandy bottle was brought and louis with what he thought a very sparing hand proceeded to pour about half a wine-glassful into the cup as he did so sir roger weak as he was contrived to shake his son's arm so as greatly to increase the dose <laughs> laughed the sick man and then greedily swallowed the dose end of chapter twenty four recording by nick whitley burley united kingdom